you are a follower of Jesus by your actions? Would they see it in action? You couldn't proclaim it. You couldn't say it. But would they see a difference in you? I shared this story before when I made the switch. I used to be a businessman. I used to work in computer consulting for almost 15 years before I went into ministry. And when I made that change, when I had to tell everybody in my office that I was quitting my job to go back to school and to become a pastor, I wasn't worried about quitting the job. I wasn't worried about the pay cut. I wasn't worried about the move. In that moment, my greatest fear was, Will they be surprised I'm a Christian? The eight years I worked in that company, would they even know that I was a follower of Jesus? See, it's crucially important how our actions reflect our faith. I mean, the world looks like the world does because of what the world believes. I expect non-Christians to act like non-Christians because they're not Christian. But I expect the church to look like the church. I expect Christians to live like Christians. So that's why there's this big red warning label on this series. This is for you, follower of Jesus, to examine your heart your life. And this is for you, non-follower of Jesus, to go, wow, is there something here for me that I need to explore, that I need to learn, that I need to grow in? So that's what we're going to do as we go through this very, very short letter in the New Testament written by a guy named James. And so my hope and my desire for the next four Sundays is that we go through this series together. We look at our heart. We look at our behavior, and then we ask ourselves some questions. Does my behavior line up with my belief? (laughs) Do my actions actually line up with what I say I believe? And if you find yourself going, wait a minute, my actions don't line up with my belief, (laughs) then you got to start, let God work on your actions. Or if you go, no, I actually don't believe that's an important part of the Christian faith, But the Bible says it is, well, then I need to work on that faith part of the journey. Okay, so that's kind of the warning. So let's just dive into today's text. I'm going to read from James chapter 1. I'm going to start reading actually in verse 19. I'll give a quick summary of the first 18 verses afterwards. But just I want to kind of zone in to 27 as we kick this series off. Challenge yourself. If you're not the type of person who normally brings a paper Bible to church, start bringing a paper Bible to church. Challenge it. Challenge you. Bring one. If you don't own one, take one. There's some in the back. I want to give you one as a New Year's present. I don't know if that's a tradition now. I just made a new tradition here. We now give New Year's presents instead of Christmas presents. Underline it. Write in it. Make notes. If you're not the type of person who takes notes, start taking notes. Do something new this year so that you can grow in a new way this year. Because if you just do what you did last year, this year is going to look like last year in your spiritual development. Do something new starting this year, okay? 
Verse 19, James chapter 1, it starts here with James writing to the church. And he says, my dear brothers and sisters, again, writing to the church, brothers and sisters. This is this language of the ecclesia. This is the language of the church. Writing to people who have put their faith in Jesus. He's not writing to people outside of the church. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, who's the everyone? It's everyone in the brothers and sisters. It's everybody in the ecclesia. It's everybody in the church community. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We could just end the sermon right here and go home and wrestle with this literally for the rest of the year. (laughs) Okay? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why? Verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And some of us should underline that. (laughs) Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Again, who's he writing to? The brothers and the sisters. Clean up your own house. Clean up your house. Get rid of all moral filth in the brothers and sisters. And get rid of the evil that is so prevalent. Interesting. I'm kind of taking a lot of pauses here. I'm trying to explain the depth of this text. The evil that is prevalent. Where is this evil prevalent? Among the brothers and sisters. He's not talking about the evil out there. He's talking about the evil that you and I bring into here. We got to deal with that in here. Moral filth and evil, it is so prevalent. And we need to humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law and gives that, the, the perfect law that gives freedom. And continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceives themselves and their religion is worthless. In my other study Bible that I use for devotions, that is highlighted in multiple different colors because every year when I come back to this text... Yeah. Religion that our father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Like I literally everything that's in here, we could spend five weeks just in this. But I'm going to spend the next 40 minutes in this part to prep us for what's to come in the weeks ahead. 
Now, just to help us kind of get our brain around what's being written here, I do find it helpful to have a clearer understanding of the context of every letter. You know, I'm a big believer that you have to study the Bible in the context in which it was written. Because if you don't understand the context in which it was written, then we can kind of make up some wackadoo kind of stuff that the text isn't supposed to mean, right? And one of the key things that I, that I think is important for us to understand as the brothers and sisters, and as people who maybe don't believe in Jesus, but you're exploring the claims of Jesus, is we have to understand first and foremost who this guy James is. Because there's a lot of people in the Bible named James, And so just to kind of help understand the heart behind what is written here, James, the author of this letter, is not James, one of the early disciples of Jesus. It's not the James that we see when Jesus comes up to John and James and says, come and follow me. And they drop everything and go follow Jesus. It's not that James. It was a common name back then. This James actually is the James who is the brother of Jesus. And now I get it. There's some controversy and there's some tension among Christians on whether or not Jesus had brothers. And it wasn't like a real actual brother, but it's more kind of like that spiritual high five, hey, my brother kind of thing. And I get it if you believe that. And I don't want to kind of knock your belief that that's what it is, but it's not what the text says. The text doesn't say that this is a spiritual, yo, my brother, high five, my brother from another mother. No, it's a brother from the same mother, brother from a different father. (laughs) Yeah, because Mary and Joseph were good Jewish people obeying the commandments and teachings of God, and they were fruitful and they multiplied. (laughs) Okay. And so we got this James, the brother of Jesus, and he's referred to twice in the Gospels. He's referred to in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, and referred to in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. The brothers and sisters of Jesus. And the Gospel of John, in John chapter 7, verse 5, tells us something very interesting about this brother of Jesus. Is he didn't believe that his older brother was the Messiah did not believe that his older brother was the Messiah. How many of you here have an older brother? A bunch of hands go up. What would it take for you to believe that your older brother is the Messiah of God? Okay. I saw this comedian once. I wasn't going to talk about this, but there's this comedian, I think it's Michael Jr. He goes, could you just imagine growing up as the younger brother of Jesus? It's like, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? It would be a horrible way to be raised. Right, But here we got this James guy does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He does not believe his brother's claims of divinity. But then Paul tells us something very interesting happened to James. And we can read what happens to James in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Is James, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to James. That's what Paul says. So this younger brother of Jesus who did not believe in him sees the resurrected Jesus and he becomes a follower of Jesus. Not only does he now become a follower of Jesus, he becomes a crucially important leader in the church. He's the guy who oversees the council of Jerusalem. He even replaces Peter 
in his importance as leader in the church, when Peter kind of starts to go off and doing his different work, James is there in Jerusalem as the key leader. And James is cleaning up church mess. He's sitting there going, and when the Christians, because they're Jewish, right? The Jewish Christians, when they're getting upset that non-Jewish people are coming into their house, that non-Jewish people are coming into the faith, when they're putting their faith in Jesus, the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit is coming on them and they're receiving forgiveness of sin and they're showing evidence of sign and wonders, the Spirit of God working in them, the Jewish people are like, no, 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 we can't have that unless we put all of our Jewish law on the Gentiles. And James is the guy who says, do not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Why would we put a yoke on them that we couldn't keep? The good little reminder for us as the church. Why would we ever expect a non-Christian to live by a standard that you and I can't keep? The good reminder for me. When I pray for people who don't know Jesus. When I'm ministering to people who don't know Jesus. When I'm just even talking about Jesus to people who don't know Jesus. Right? And that's, so that's who this James is. And I think this is important to remember because, again, he goes from non-believer to leader in the church. Goes from non-believer, wanting nothing to do with this, to leader in the church to draw more and more and more people to the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And we know from church history that he didn't do it for money, power, and women. Because that's not what they got as Christian leaders. So often we think people go into Christian leadership for money, power, and women. Okay? No, they went into Christian leadership for death. They all died. Every single one of them. So you got to know for certain that your older brother came back from the dead. Before you become a leader in his new movement. Because they all died for their faith. And so James' heart for the church is so apparent in these letters. You can read this letter like the words of a spiritual father coming to you. Someone who is desperate for you to understand who Jesus is. And desperate, not that you just know it, but that it should radically change your life. And so that's kind of the summary of who this James is. And so the big idea that I want to focus on as we go back to uh, verses 9 to 27 and, and kind of get a little deeper into that, big idea is this, is that listening to and living the word of God in our daily lives is crucial. Listening to and living the word of God in our daily lives is crucial. Like James starts his letter off and he talks about suffering and he talks about testing and he talks about trials because that's what was going on in those days in the early church <laughs> among the Jewish people. They wanted nothing to do with this teaching of this Messiah who died and rose from the dead to pay for their sin. They liked their religion. They like their rules. They like their traditions. They like to be able to evaluate how they are doing in comparison to everybody else. Anyone else like that? 
<laughs> I love knowing how I'm doing. How am I doing, God? And I like the rules. And I like the traditions. <laughs> okay? There's nothing wrong with those things. But when we start using them to judge people the way God is not judging people, then we're in trouble. <laughs> right? And so he starts off... There's this mess going on in the church. There's persecution going on in the church. The Romans don't like it. The Romans don't like this idea that there's actually one true king and it's not Caesar. They don't like that message. No one around this new thing called the church is happy with the church until they see how the church is living out their faith. And then we read in the Bible that suddenly they started receiving favor. And people noticed that their faith was changing how they lived their lives. So trials and persecution and all of these things, James starts there. And then he goes from trials and temptations into listening and doing. And that's what we've read today. And so let's talk a little bit about listening and doing. So that we can, again, look at us, look at our faith, and see how we can see ourselves in this. So the first idea, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down, is the idea of to listen closely, to listen closely, right? In James chapter one, verse 19, it starts everyone. And I already explained that. Who's the everyone? Us. Everyone in Greek. Okay. The original Greek word that we translate into everyone means everybody. Brothers and sisters in the church, everyone should be quick to listen. Listen closely. Right? James chapter 1 verse 23 says anyone, so anyone out of the everyone who listens to the word. We need to be quick to listen. And what, are, what do we need to be quick to listen to? According to James 1.23, we need to be quick to listen to the word of God. We need to listen to the voice of God. We need to listen to the teachings of God. We need to listen to the correction of God. We need to listen to the guidance of God. We need to listen. I mean, that's why we literally just spent 16 weeks as a church learning how to listen. And if you go, oh, man, I actually didn't do any of that devotion stuff for that 16 weeks, you can still do it. (laughs) Okay? Because listening is hugely important. I don't know about you, but um, listening is hard. Anyone else kind of find listening hard? You know? It's okay. We can confess that to one another. Sometimes you ever find yourself in a conversation and the other person is talking? And you find, your, I'm not, you find yourself not listening, but preparing your response. Who does that? Yeah, okay, I better see more hands. Okay? Like, come on. You're in this conversation with your spouse, and your spouse is going on. Not my, my wife doesn't do this. But maybe your spouse dies going on and 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 on. Not you, babe. But it's not you. It's other people. Okay? Yeah, Okay? And all you're doing in that moment is trying to just come up with the answer to stop the conversation. Anyone? Okay, don't raise your hand for that one. 
okay? Or you're talking with someone, and one of the things I always find hilarious is when people get together and one person shares their problems, and then everyone tries to one-up their problem. Say, oh, you think you got it bad. Let me tell you about my problems. And then the next, and when we do this in life group, the life group has really missed the boat on what we're supposed to be doing in that group where one person shares their heart and their burdens and their struggles, their trials and their temptations, their hurt and their pain, and we just one-up one another. We don't even listen. We don't listen to one another. The world right now does not listen. Culture, the fights, the tensions. I think the biggest problem that we have in our culture right now is we've, we've lost the ability to listen to each other. And we bring that mess we bring that evil into the church, and we don't listen. And I'm not saying we've got to get better at listening to one another. We do. But this text says we've got to get really good at listening to God, listening to the voice of God, listening to the word of God, the corrections of God, the guidance of God. We need to listen. See, listening is a huge part of the Christian faith. Jesus talked about listening to the voice of God. Like in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God. Thank you. And obey it. That's point two. You jumped ahead of me, Jonathan. It's all good. Matthew chapter seven, verse 27. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... Revelation, at the very end of the age, Jesus says these words in Revelation 3, verse 20. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door. Listening. Any action that we do starts from hearing the voice of God. And I could go on and on and on with so many verses that talk about listening to God. Right? So we have to ask ourselves, am I slow to listen? Every year at this time of year, I set goals for myself to help me grow uh, spiritually, uh, you know, help me to grow mentally, help me to grow physically. Um, and, and last year in 2023, I had a one word theme for the year. And my word for last year was listen. Because I have a job where I talk a lot. <laughs> and a lot of people have to listen to me. <laughs> and because a lot of people have to listen to me, you can kind of get into the bad habit of assuming that you should always be talking. <laughs> and people come to me going, well, Kevin, what about? Kevin, what about? Kevin, what about? Kevin, what about? Kevin needed to spend a year. Kevin, just shut up. <sighs> and just listen. When I'm in leadership meetings, shut up. Just listen for God. When I go to denominational meetings, Kevin, just shut up. Listen to God. And it's not always easy. It's a discipline that we have to practice. That's why we talk about prayer. That's why we talk about Bible reading. That's why we talk about meditating on the word of God. That's why we talk about fasting. That's why we talk about these things. To get better at listening. Because when you listen closely, you don't have to do a lot of talking. 
You don't go to God with my demands and my lists and my expectations. We just go to him and we listen closely. And I firmly believe that when we take that posture of listening closely, God has a lot to say. God has a lot to say about our lives, our jobs, our families, how we're living out our faith. God is ready to speak, but he needs us to listen. He wants us. He desires us to listen closely. So coming into this new year, are you going to take the time to listen closely? That's the first point that we get from here. Listen closely. The second point that we get from James chapter 1 in this section is then we have to do what you hear. You do what you hear. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is James 1 verse 23. It's four words. Do what it says. Pretty sure this is what Nike stole this. They summarized four words into three words. Just do it. Do it. Do what it says. Like this is the major theme of the book of James. But the reality is, is this is the major theme of your entire Bible. Like it's funny when when I'm mentoring people or when I'm discipling people or when people kind of ask for counseling and, and, I'll, and we'll, we'll get into our, each other's lives, and, we'll, and I'll ask some questions, and we'll kind of probe a little bit. And I love when people kind of come up to me and say, well, Pastor Kevin, like, should I love my neighbor? I'm going to pray about that. And I go, no. You don't need to pray on whether you should love your neighbor. Why? Just do it, because your Bible says love your neighbor. You don't need to pray about that. Should I be generous with my time and my resources and all the blessings that I have of God? Should I be generous? Hmm. You don't need to pray about it. Why? Because the Bible says to be generous. Should I love my enemies and pray for them? Hmm. I'm going to pray about that one. <laughs> Even better, pray for your government. Ah. Not going there. Okay? I'm gonna, should I pray for them? I don't know. Do what it says. You see, the problem is for us as followers of Jesus, the problem is not information. The problem is follow through. <laughs> we don't have a lack of information. I don't have a lack of information in my life. I have a lack of follow through. I know what it says. And sometimes in my flesh, I just don't want to do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Right? This is what James is driving home here into the life of the brothers and sisters. Right? We do it. And why do we do it? This is, again, this is where the tension comes in. We don't do it to earn God's love. That's a key thing. We don't do it because my pastor guilted me into it. I don't do it because my parents are making me do it. I, well, yes, kids, you do it because your parents told you to do it. Okay? <laughs> I don't want any emails from parents. <laughs> um, we do it because the very word of God, according to James, has been planted in you. 
See, this is exactly what God promised to his people. The religious people all throughout the Old Testament, the Jewish people were striving. They were doing their religion. They were doing their traditions in order to please God. I have to do this, do these actions. And the prophet Jeremiah said, God's going to do something radically different. That this external law that is out there, and we're all running to this external law, trying to catch up to it, trying to appease this law, trying to live according to this outside law. Jeremiah says, this is what God's going to do. He said, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. You see, we don't strive for this outside thing that we can never reach. Because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension and sending the Holy Spirit to empower you, you have a new heart. And it is out of that new heart that our actions are changed. And then James gives a little reminder after the, just do what it says. He talks about a mirror. And what that he's doing at this point is he's telling every single brother and sister to examine yourself. Stand in front of the mirror with this new heart and be reminded of who you are, brother and sister. That you are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High God. You're not a victim, you're a conqueror. You're not a sinner, you're a saint. All the things that the Word of God says about us, we need to be reminded about that because for some reason we step away from the mirror and we forget who we are. We think we're the world. We do our jobs like the world. We run our family, our finances, our sexuality, everything like the world. We need to stand in front of that mirror and not forget who we are. That we're different. That we're called to something different. We're called to just do what it says out of the new reality of who we are. This is why I firmly believe examining ourselves is such an important part of our Christian faith. When my actions are not lining up with what I believe. I can say I believe in generosity, but then just not be generous. Well, it doesn't mean I believe in generosity. I could believe that that Jesus died for the, the sins of the world and that if people would just know who Jesus is, that they would be saved from their sin and live my life like, well, these people are, they're never going to come to Jesus. They're never going to believe and treat them like people who are just never going to believe. See, our faith and our actions, they go so much together. And that's why we have to examine it. Am I doing what the word of God says? And that's the question for us as we go into this new year. Do you do what God says to do? Not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of religious obligation, but out of who you are, brother and sister.
Are you letting the spirit of God that dwells within you change how you live? We listen closely. We do what we hear. And then just quickly and finally, because James kind of throws in a little curveball here, which feels like it comes out of nowhere. He warns the brothers and sisters to um, watch our tongues. See, it's, it's this curveball. Like it feels like it comes out of nowhere, but I think it fits beautifully. In the listening and in the doing, an important part of the listening and the doing is the spiritual discipline of watching our tongues. In other words, what words are coming out of my mouth <laughs> while I'm listening to God, while I'm doing what God tells me to do? Watch my tongue. One of my favorite verses about watching the tongue actually comes from Psalm 141. It's King David. King David says these crazy words about his words. Look what he says here. Psalm 141 verse 3. He goes, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. See, the Kevin paraphrase is, God, teach me to shut up. Because I'm David. He's king. Whatever he says, people jump. They do it. He's king. And we see throughout all the history of the people of Israel, you got good kings and you got bad kings. And how do you know when someone's a bad king? With their bad actions and their bad words. <laughs> right? Set a guard, O oh Lord, <sighs> over my mouth. <laughs> that was actually something I prayed a lot during the pandemic. I just wanted to go on social media. <laughs> Set, O oh Lord, a guard over my keyboard. And keep me from typing. Instead, God, God my, guard my heart. Help me to listen to you. Find you. Do what you tell me to do, not what I desperately want to do. You see, we as human beings, because we're created in the image and likeness of God, justice is important. But you and I are created in the image and likeness of God, and God is a just God. The problem is because we're a broken image bearer of God, our justice is broken. Our sense of justice because of sin can be broken. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't pursue justice because the Bible tells us to pursue justice. But in our pursuing justice, if you're trying to just trying to defend yourself or trying to defend the faith or trying to defend the Bible, but you're doing it in such a way that your language is actually pushing people away from Jesus. Guard your tongue. Because God doesn't actually need us to defend his Bible. God doesn't need us to defend his church. Because God will do that himself. Our call in our lives is to live out our faith in such a way that the Bible talks about peaceful, quiet lives. So that people around us will know 
that we have met with the living God and that they are drawn to how we live. Jesus himself modeled this. I get it because I'm this type of guy too. I'm the type of guy who feels like I just, I just like a good theological argument. I like a good theological throwdown. I like to argue. There's something in me. And as I've gotten a little bit older and maybe a little bit more tired, <laughs> I don't do that as much. But I don't think that's the reason. It's because I think God's growing me, and I'm not saying this to be a hero, but God's growing his church to become more like Jesus. That Jesus himself on the night when he was betrayed did not defend himself. That Jesus was like a lamb. Isaiah the prophet says it like this in verse, uh, chapter 53, verse 7, talking about the Messiah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. That's a powerful picture of, of our king. That's a powerful reminder of our Lord. It's the powerful reminder of God. That even in the worst of time when Jesus was arrested and he's being accused of sins he did not do, he took it. When you and I are accused of sins that we did not do, is our response to punch back? Or do we listen closely? Do what God says. Watch our tongues. Mentor of mine said it like this years ago, and I've quoted this guy for 20 years. Even if you're right, you're wrong if you're not humble. Even if you're right, you're wrong if you're not humble. And that's what James is talking about exactly in this text. He's talking about do not get deceived. Do not let you know, this worthless religion get in the way of our faith. Because how you and I live is so important <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God, left glory, gave up all of his rights to die for his enemies, you and me. Jesus came to die for those who persecuted him, die for those who wanted nothing to do with him, died for those who mocked him, died for those who beat him, died for those who nailed him to a tree. And as he hung from a tree, bleeding and suffocating to death, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is who God is. That's the call on his church to bring this message of hope and of love and of peace to a world that doesn't have any hope. That's got a messed up view of love that feels angrier and angrier every time I turn on the TV. (laughs) And I get it. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and your experience of church has been angry (laughs) and has been people just speaking down. (laughs) I know that was a little bit about how I was raised in a very strict religious French-Canadian environment. And we all walked away from it. All of us walked away from it. And I spent 20 years away from it because of what I saw. But don't look at what you see from people. 
Look at what you hear from God. (laughs) That God loves you. And he's not calling you to 613 do's and don'ts. (laughs) And you better do everything that God commands or God's going to hate you forever. (laughs) Know today that God loves you. God loves you. And because he loves you, God himself, Jesus, came to earth. And he taught us about the kingdom of God. He did miracle upon miracle upon miracle to prove who he was. And then he was arrested, beaten, crucified, and died. And the reason he died is because sin, the penalty of sin, is death. And because God loves us so much, you and I aren't the ones who have to die for our sin. Jesus died in our place. And to show that he had victory over sin, over death, over our spiritual enemy, the devil, he rose from the dead three days later. And then he walked among people. He walked among his brother James, his kid brother. (laughs) And his life was completely changed (laughs) because of seeing the resurrected Jesus. (laughs) That's who God is. And you can come to know the resurrected Jesus just by right where you are, online or here in the room, just by saying, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Come into my life. Make me new. And for those of us who've done that, whether last week or 20, 50, 60 years ago, as we come into this new year, we have to ask ourselves, do I just want this year of my faith journey to look like every other year. Am I settling for faith? Eh, that's fine. (laughs) Going through the motions of it. Or do I want to see God do more? See, I don't know about you, but I want to see God do more. (laughs) Because I know a lot of people who don't know Jesus yet. (laughs) And I really want them to know Jesus. (laughs) I look at our city and I love our city. I love this place. But our city needs Jesus. <laughs> really does. Our, church, our, our, our city needs more churches, more vibrant churches, planting churches, seeing more and more people on fire with the mission of God. I firmly believe the lukewarm Christian church is done. It's done. We saw it during COVID. The lukewarm Christians left. They went away because... <laughs> It was just church. And God always leaves a remnant of his children to do the work that he's called us to do. There's work to do. We're in a season of change as a church. I need you to get to work. I can't do it all by myself. I don't need you to pray, God, should I help? I need you to pray, God, how will I help? (laughs) Because there's a call on your faith in this season. Is what you believe about God causing you to change how you live your life? We need to be listening to and living the word of God in our daily lives. Because it's crucial for God's glory, for our joy, And for the world. 
So, Lord God, as we kick this series off with the reminder of listening and doing and watching our tongues, Father God, I pray that you would take away any sense of guilt or shame that the enemy would try to plant into our hearts, and instead we would be filled with encouragement. We'd be filled with your abundant life, that we would be filled with joy and peace, knowing that you are a God who is at work, that you are not dead, that you are alive, and that you are still using the bride of Christ, the church, to accomplish your will in the world. So, Father God, we dedicate our lives, we dedicate this church, we dedicate everything that we do for your glory. Help us, God, to hear you closely as we listen. And then give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to do what it says. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.